This Sunday is our last Sunday of Classics Reconsidered. So we've been looking at classic or well-known texts from the Bible this summer uh, and looking at them through a new lens, thinking about what uh, God has in store for us from them. So as you could gather from the children's message this morning, we're looking at the prodigal son. So this morning we're going to look at the older son, we're going to look at the younger son, and we're going to look at the father uh, to conclude, to consider why Jesus taught this parable. It's uh, like some of the passages we've looked at. It's one that people, uh, even outside of the church or who might not have read the Bible, uh, are familiar with. And this is a, a powerful parable from Jesus that we're going to look at together. Uh, and on a family worship Sunday, I like to bring some props too. So uh, this fox this morning represents for us the younger son, who we're going to dub as the son of shame. When you all were here, uh, when you all who are here were kids, were you ever told by your parents, shame on you? Was that ever a reprimand? Uh, a few, a few nods. Uh, I personally have not used shame on you on my kids yet, but uh, shame was the most used word when I had a dog growing up. Uh, I got a dog in middle school after years of, of begging and when he did something wrong, I was quick to say, shame on you, to try to teach him to do what he needed to do. So the younger son in the prodigal son story, the son of shame, does a few things that make us as readers and as listeners to this parable want to say, shame on you. We're going to look at those shames as we get to know this son more. The first shame is that the younger son demands his inheritance early. This is a, a minor detail in the beginning of this parable, but in doing this, the younger son is essentially saying to his father, I wish you were dead. The younger son is ready to cash in. He wants the financial benefits of his father's death, and he wants them now. And the wild thing that unfolds in this parable is that the father does it. Right? Can any parents here, by show of hands, would you give your kids a, a full advance on their inheritance if they asked for it right now? No takers, not even one to be different. This is wild what happens. The, this younger son, this, this son of shame, demands the inheritance early and he receives it. Uh, a request like this would typically merit getting beaten or maybe getting thrown out uh, or being told, shame on you. Don't ask for that money now. I'm not a, a commodity. But the father grants it. And this is a really mysterious action from the father. And we're going to look more closely at the mysterious father later in the message. But shame on the son for making this request, right? This is, is really out there. And, and there's more when it comes to the shame from this younger son. The younger son we, we see in the passage, he goes out to a distant country, is what the passage says in verse 13. In our culture, it's, it's very normal for people to routinely leave home and go somewhere new. By show of hands, did, who here grew up in Alexandria and has been here since? Nice. We got two. Two. Daniel and Doncella. Uh, so everybody who didn't raise your hand, you have something in common with the younger son in that you left the nest. 
which is normal and a, and a good thing to do in our culture today. But in the time of Jesus' teaching, and even today in some cultures in the world, it would be unheard of for someone to do this. It would be straight up abandoning your family and your responsibility to be with them and to care for them. So this younger son, this son of shame, not only cashes out and takes all his money, but then he abandons his family and goes to a distant land. There's no way that he can care for his father in his father's older age. There's no way that he can work with this father as he would have done in that day. He's gone. That's shame number two. This, this third shame is, is a bit deeper. The, the younger son, you might remember from hearing the passage in the children's message, where does he end up? He, he ends up with the pigs, right? He has squandered all of his money away. And we see in verses 14, 15, and 16 that he's hungry. There's a famine in the land. He goes to work with pigs, and he is in such a need of food that he finds himself craving the food that the pigs were eating. That's gross, right? Would anybody eat pig's food for $100? It just it sounds icky. I can, I, my grandfather has a farm, and when you step out of the car near the pigs, you can smell it immediately. And so this son of shame who got all this money, who got the advance on his inheritance, finds himself working with the pigs. And this is deeper than a general ickiness, right? We don't hear this and just say gross pigs. But thinking about the context, thinking about the time, Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience here. This is a parable that flows from a response to the Pharisees. And eating pork or even being in the proximity of a pig was forbidden. So these Pharisees, these Jewish scholars, they knew what we have as the Old Testament, like the back of their hand. And in in Deuteronomy, it talks very specifically about not only not eating pig, but not touching or being in proximity with them. So this younger son, this sly fox, so to speak, didn't just take the money, didn't just take the money and run, but he took the money and ran and found himself in a situation and in an environment that was absolutely at odds with what would have been a religious norm of the day. Him being with the pigs and craving the pigs' food is about as far as you can fall. So as we know in the prodigal son story, he returns home, and it is a beautiful, beautiful exchange with the prodigal son and the father. The younger son comes home and he receives a hero's welcome, which is something that his actions absolutely have not merited. Uh, an interesting little nugget from this passage you see here is the fact that his father ran to him. He ran to him and kissed him. The, the, the senior, the head of the household, wouldn't be expected uh, to be the one to make those steps, to run towards him, to show that affection. But we see this exchange in a famous and beautiful way when the younger son goes home. So it's, it's all great if we just stopped there and think about the redemption and the forgiveness, but we have to factor in the older brother as well, which is what this donkey represents here this morning. 
we had the uh, the older donkey, who we're going to call the calculating grumbler here. This brother had been loyal, like we saw when we listened to the passage. He had done his work diligently. We saw someone doing laundry. Picture this calculating grumbler tending to the fields, taking care of the household, simply doing what needed to be done. And he'd never received such a celebration that's called for when this younger son comes home. So we see the natural jealousy on the surface, but throughout this story and throughout a lot of、uh, what Jesus is teaching, there's a, a financial undercurrent as well. So think about the the division of the inheritance here. The younger brother and the older brother, they had each gotten their half of the inheritance. So what the older brother is working on with the father, that's his. That's everything. He has already cashed out. So not only is he jealous. That the younger son receives this grand party, he's calculating and realizing that, in essence, he's footing the bill for it. He has no say in how that fatted calf is used. He says, "Dad, come on! I, you've never even given me like a goat. We're doing the fatted calf for my brother." Amidst that jealousy, is it's his balance sheet that's going to take a hit because they've already divided the estate and what he's working with on his father. Is his. This stews up his rage. The fact that his father is making it unfold like this, and as a result, there is absolutely no way that the older brother, that the calculating grumbler, can see the beauty of what's happening. He's locked in on these calculations, and he's so fixed on his grumbling, which is a real bummer. It would be a nice story if the older brother thought, "Yeah, I'm excited to see my younger son too, my younger brother too." But there would be a few less、uh, teaching points there. Have you ever been stuck with a grumbler, someone who can only see the negative?、Uh, a coded phrase that I've heard used before that I really enjoy is, "Don't be an Eeyore" when it comes to grumblers. Do you all know Eeyore, the donkey from Winnie the Pooh, who's notorious for being pessimistic and gloomy? The older brother in this parable. Totally misses the the beauty of what's happening in his younger brother's life because he's being an Eeyore, and he's not just an Eeyore that's wallowing. He is assertive in his grumbling. He shows a bad temper. We see in the passage that he lectures his father in front of his guests, and consistently the father responds to even that with generosity, as well. So much attention is given to what the younger brother does, how the older brother responds, but this father figure is mysterious and amazingly captivating. So let's turn our attention to the father, and also the bigger picture of to whom Jesus is communicating here in Luke 15. So let's back it all the way up to the beginning of Luke 15. If you look at the first three verses there. We see that this parable, this teaching, it's part of Jesus responding to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are grumbling and they're muttering. We see here in the passage they say, "This man welcomes sinners and eats with them." And then Jesus unfolds some parables. There's one before the parable of the prodigal son, but that which follows in Luke 15 is a response to the muttering. Pharisees. 
So imagine the Pharisees hearing this story of a generous father. Yes, Jesus is telling a story, a beautiful one that we can hear and receive today, but at the same time, Jesus is teaching, and his teaching is very pointed because he's responding to this remark from the Pharisees of what is this guy doing, welcoming sinners and eating with them? When Jesus says that at the very end of the parable, uh, recounts how the father receives the younger son and talks to the older son, imagine being a Pharisee, hearing these words, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. The Pharisees, amidst their grumbling and amidst their muttering, hear Jesus speaking through this voice of the Father in the parable, confronting the Pharisees. If you're not too familiar with what's behind the word Pharisees, they were kind of like religious gatekeepers of the day. They were the the Jewish holy rollers, and they were intrigued by Jesus. How could you not be intrigued by Jesus? But they weren't keen on his message or the blessings that he was giving to people outside of the Jewish faith. And at this point in Luke, more and more Gentiles, which is people outside of the Jewish community, they're coming into the fold and they're receiving this grace and redemption through Jesus And it's ruffling the Pharisees' feathers, which is what leads to them in the beginning of this chapter, grumbling and muttering and just having so much baggage around Jesus that they can't recognize the good that's happening through him. Jesus is speaking their language here. He's telling them what was dead is alive again. What was lost is found Jesus is is speaking their language in in another powerful way by evoking exile. Now, the the identity of the Jewish people was very much wrapped up in the way that their people group had lived through exiles in history. So the, the Jewish people were exiled to Egypt, and they longed for deliverance, and deliverance came. We see that early in the Old Testament. That's a big part of Jewish identity. Later in the Old Testament, we see the Jewish people are in exile in Babylon, and they're longing for deliverance. They're longing to get home, and we see that deliverance came. So now here in Luke 15 in the modern day, they're in their homeland. They haven't been exiled in a physical sense, but in a a way that's not quite tangible the Pharisees saw themselves in a modern-day exile. They were living in what they saw as dark days of evil, where they were under the power of this pagan Roman rule. They wanted exile from the empire. They wanted freedom to not have these overlords governing over them. They were craving that exile and that freedom And now the giver of this freedom is God, God the Son, Jesus Christ, standing right before them, teaching them in this parable. The prodigal son returned, and what was dead had been brought back to life. And like the Jews came back from Egypt, like the Jews came back from Babylon, 
they could be forever redeemed and restored and out of exile and delivered into freedom through new life in Christ. Freedom is here for the Pharisees. Freedom is here for the religious holy rollers. Freedom is here for the non-religious people who find themselves swept up in the crowds, eager to listen to Jesus. There's a a surface-level response, and then a deeper one that Jesus has here, responding to the muttering. And it sounds silly to say, but Jesus is just a ridiculously slick communicator. Let's keep looking at this, this final passage as we see what the Father says here. We see that he identifies to the older brother who's frustrated, hey, you are always with me. Everything that I have is yours. So in the parable, Jesus is telling, or the father is telling the older son, hey, you've been here. Let's stick with it. I've been generous and giving beyond what we can imagine, but you're part of this too. Calculating grumbler, you haven't done anything wrong, but the son of shame is back. You're part of this too. Similarly, Jesus is inviting the Pharisees, these holy rollers of the day, to recognize the grace in his ministry and join in the celebration. Jesus could have rebuked them and said, get out of here. You you don't recognize who I am. But he's trying to instead offer them seats at his banquet table. For the Pharisees that got this, wow, this, this had to have been a powerful word to receive from Jesus. For us here today, reading this passage a couple thousand years later, Jesus invites us not just to hear, but to process this parable as well. Jesus is responding to the Pharisees, but he's talking to us too and asking us to consider our lives as followers of Jesus in light of this parable. We have the younger son, we have the older son, we have the father, we have the Pharisees. With the younger son, we see that through the father's grace, resurrection happens in the younger son's life. And we need to be people who facilitate resurrection, people who lead others towards new life in Christ. So simply put, the story of the younger son is one that should give us hope. There is no one, I think, that we can picture in a predicament quite like the younger son in the pigsty. So we can take hope from the younger son in this story. I think an interesting angle is considering the older brother, we're tempted to gravitate towards these stories of people who are in a desperate situation uh, who miraculously get out of them. But I think we're surrounded by more people who are like the older brother. We need to be able to graciously invite people into our midst who think there's nothing wrong with them or who even think that they're better than us. The older son, the calculating grumbler in this story, He thought he was in a different class. He thought he was better and that he'd proven it. There are a lot of people that we rub shoulders with or in our lives today 
who might think that they're in a different class than us and that they don't need God or that they don't need religious community like we find in the church. Even people who think that they have no wrongs will be captured by grace when they see it. I like to think, who else attended this banquet in Luke 15? Were there people who were just captured by the grace of the Father and led to live lives that were more forgiving and more kind? The call on us is to put God's grace on display in our lives in ways that we live personally, in ways that we live collectively as a church. And our gatherings need to resemble, to some extent, that gathering with the fatted calf that we see here in Luke 15. Something that's been bugging me this week is that we don't know what became of the sons in this story. Did they become best friends and work it out? Did the older brother live with resentment for the rest of his life? Something I'd like resolution on one day. But there's people in our lives in the same way with this story that we might not see the finish line of. We might not see them reach their spiritual prime, so to speak, but we're called to plant seeds and be stepping stones of encouragement to them with this ridiculous generosity that we see the Father giving here. This morning, as we process the story of the prodigal son, let's come to the altar as we wrap up. I'm going to invite musicians to come up this morning. And I encourage you to use this last song as, as a prayer and as a time of reflection. If you feel like the younger son, the son of shame, you can come to God's altar and pray. If you feel a bit like the older son, maybe you're an Eeyore, unable to show emotion or joy at what God's doing, come to the altar as you sing and pray to God. Let's let our last song this morning not just be a a song that we sing, but a prayer that we as the church are saying and living in our posture to others. Let's proclaim that Jesus is calling. Let's proclaim that this forgiveness is bought with the blood of Christ. So let's stand and sing as we conclude this morning. Thank you for that.